Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. You are listening to Tennis Channel Live, the podcast on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We've got the game, the names, and the insight you need to stay covered on all the courts. All right, and welcome to another episode of the TC Live podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels here joined by our TC analyst, friend of the show, now officially a reoccurring guest, Paul Anacone. Paul, thanks for joining the show. Mitch, thanks for having me. And uh, friend of the show, that's good. I'd like to know that. Yeah, and a reoccurring guest. Yeah, my second go-round. So I didn't I didn't mess up too badly that I didn't get invited again. I like that. Right, second go-round and uh, first time on this continent. So calling in from uh, your residence now, not in Australia. So we're making progress exactly. here. We got five more exactly. continents to go, but uh, you're almost nice. all the way around there. Uh, I know nice. I know you're just as excited as I am that tennis is back and we're getting ready for the full swing of the U.S. Open in a little bit. We have to uh, tie some stuff up from last week. The WTA had a, a great re- rejoin to the season, the top seed open in Lexington, Kentucky, the inaugural event for that. And it was an amazing one. A lot of star power, a lot of big names in it. But of all the big names that played, of all the talented Americans and, and players that played, Paul, it was a first-time finalist, a first-time champion, Jen Brady. The 25-year-old former UCLA Bruin wins her first title without dropping a set. So we got to give props to her first. Brady's someone that's kind of been under the radar, had to refine her game. But this was easily, Paul, the cleanest and most efficient tennis she's played since becoming a pro. Oh, I'll tell you what, it was just impressive to watch Jen play such terrific tennis all week. She played dominant tennis um, getting into the finals. And, and, you know, I just couldn't believe that she was able to keep her level throughout the week without any hiccups. You know, she didn't have any letdown. She has a great power game from the back of the court, served big, dictated, and controlled the tempo of the rally so well. I wondered... Uh, against Teichman in the finals, if the nerves would get to her at all. You know, you just wonder if she was going to, if Jen was going to have a little bit of a hiccup, you know, it was a final. And she was amazing. Again, another straight set win. So to watch her play that well all week uh, was pretty impressive. Mentally, you touched on it. I mean, she's all the way there, keeps her composure, stays calm out there, had a couple break points against midway through that first set against Teichman, fended him all off, won the set, and then kept it going into the second set. Uh, I'm also kind of digging, Paul, this American young talent breeding ground. We've seen players around this age in their early to mid-20s, even late 20s, kind of make their run. It seems like Brady might be next up. There's a there's a deep talent pool, I think, of the women on the American side. And, uh, you know, it depends on which tournament, but any one of them could make a run. Yeah, there is, you know. And, and look, we we hear so much about um, Coco Gauff, and and we've seen how spectacular she is. But you, you mentioned it. I mean, you throw Jen Brady right in there, and, and you throw – um, just the level of play throughout the younger players, I think a good thing happens. And, and what happens is, you know, when you have a, a large group of, pl- 
players that come from the same area and, and they play each other often, they push each other all the time. And, and that's what we're seeing. We saw it on the men's side and we saw it um, and, now, and now we're seeing it on the women's side. So because you have so many good young players, you know, it's, it's just kind of a natural progression. The cream kind of, you know, rises to the top. You know, you see Sophia Kennan winning the Australian Open. She's playing great tennis. Yeah. Um, Amanda Anasimova, again, top 30 player. Jen's now 40 in the world. Co- uh, Coco Golf's 50 in the world. So Danielle Collins, 53. You know, they're just, they're just so many. You can keep going down the list, but they're all right there to push each other. And, and I think we're seeing the benefit of having a large group of highly skilled young athletes that, uh, are, are really driven because they'll, you know, naturally compete. And that's where you're going to get the great results. Competition, obviously, breeding success here. Jen Brady, congrats to her again. Uh, definitely a threat going forward as we get into some of these bigger tournaments. You mentioned her name. We got to talk Coco Golf. She got to number 50 in the world, lost to Brady in the semifinals of this tournament, wins over Sabalenka and Anz Shabor. That Sabalenka win was her third top 20 win of her young career. And, and we can go over the numbers, youngest in the top 50, youngest in the top 500, which I think a lot of people don't realize, but... Paul, you called a couple of her matches, and, and what stood out, and, and I'm glad you mentioned it on the broadcast of one of them, was her ability to problem-solve, her ability to play well when her A game wasn't there. It, it's the, the game we know is, is top-level stuff, but the maturity and the ability to come up with plan Bs and plan Cs is what stands out for me, and I'm assuming for you as well. Yeah, it's amazing. You, know, you forget. You have to just pinch yourself at times and realize that she's only 16. And, and to see a 16-year-old that has that much composure and can find her way through challenging situations is amazing. You know, and last week was no different. In Lexington, you know, she got through Caroline Dollahide first round in a couple in straight sets. And then she played two very different players. So to watch her adjust, she plays Sabalenka, wins 6-4 in the third against a pure power player that is just crushing the ball. And then she's got to come back the next day in the quarters against uh, Jabur and play someone that gives you no rhythm. Mm-hmm. And she loses the first set, doesn't blink, and wins the next two. So when you see a 16-year-old that's capable of kind of in, in mid-stride adjusting to what's needed to win, that's pretty incredible stuff. And, and she continues to amaze us. Continues to get better, picking up right where she left off uh, a semifinal showing for her in Lexington. And then the last note, uh, Paul, looking at Serena Williams' return to tennis, there's always going to be the question of how these players play after months off, everyone adjusting to the pandemic and the break in the tour. What were your thoughts on how Serena looked? It's not necessarily about winning this tournament. She said as much, but what do you think about how she looked in her first tournament back? I think she did a great job because she didn't, you know, she didn't look that good in her first match, right? She mm-hmm. toughed out a three-set win, um, but then after that, she played spectacular. The match with Venus was just tremendous tennis for both yeah. ladies. I thought it was so much fun to watch. They both played an extremely high level, you know. So it's really difficult to fault her. You know, the problem is when you're Serena Williams. Unless you win the tournament, people are going to say, what's wrong? You know, you fell short, blah, blah, blah. But I loved her perspective last week when she said, I didn't come, you know, I didn't come here to win the tournament. And, and to me, I think you can read that a number of different ways. But what the way I read it is she realizes she just wants to get matches. She wants to, sure, she would love to win the tournament. 
but she has to keep things in perspective. And that's what she did last week. And she did such a great job, uh, lost a tough match to Shelby Rogers and, and played good tennis. So I, I think that that's something really strong to take into the U.S. Open swing. And, and we didn't even talk about Shelby. What a, what a great week she had. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing. It's amazing. There are so many terrific storylines. And, and now it's kind of ramping up to full speed. So we're going to get to see it really in a couple of really big events right now. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Paul Anacone on the TC Live podcast as we get ready now for three intense weeks, weeks like we've never seen them on the tennis tour. The New York City bubble for first the Western Southern Open uh, and then going right into the U.S. Open, all played at New York. Uh, and, and we've gone over this before. The amenities are there. they got a time and schedule some things out. Players are staying at the Long Island Marriott Hotel and some private residences. But this situation, and again, it's been a great job by the USTA to set this up and to make this even a viable option. Paul, as someone that's played, that's coached, that's been involved in this, do you think the, the practice, the repetition, the preparation going into a big tournament, into a major, is that going to take some getting used to? Is it going to be thrown off a little bit? We know these are professionals, but how different and difficult could this be for the players trying to uh, get used to a different environment? Yeah, it's going to be strange, right? There's, you know, that you're not going to have the fans, you're not going to have the usual hustle and bustle. But, you know, the way I look at it is that it's going to be strange for everybody. Uh, I actually think it's going to be most challenging for the legends because they don't ever do anything without tons of people there. Mm -hmm. Um, So for the legends, it's going to be exponentially as strange. So, uh, So, I think it's going to be one of those things where you just kind of have to accept the environment. You kind of go into it and you realize it's going to be different. You have to prepare yourself for it. And and the people that concentrate the best and can focus um, on the task at hand the best are the ones that will find their way through. And they're the ones that will play closest to whatever their ability is because they'll be able to just stick with the task at hand. And Paul, we've had you know weeks off, months off from uh, professional and even any tennis for a while. But I, I want to bring up a point. This is there's no off week between the Western and Southern Open. We go right to the U.S. Open every other year. There's that off week. You play a Masters 1000 event, a premier event for the ladies, and then you get that time to take a week off, reset, and then go right into the U.S. Open. Does the schedule being as tight as it is? Do you think that's going to have an effect on certain players? I really do. It's a heavy load, right? You go from you, know, you go from no tennis for over five months or very little tennis exhibitions um, or special events to then playing two, you know, playing Masters 1000, such a huge event, um, and then right into the U.S. Open. That, that's that's a lot of heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be really important. The players that are in the best shape um, mentally and physically will be the ones that thrive and the ones that aren't. You're going to see, you know, early on some inconsistencies and, and uh, they're probably not going to be around too long. And one point I want to bring up before I forget, and it's another thing I, I heard you reference on air, the lack of a crowd that might 
as you said, it might be an issue with giving those players the emotional lift. I, I don't want to pick on anybody, but we saw Simona Halep and she wasn't able to finish out some matches. I know she's not in these tournaments, but is that going to be kind of a reoccurring thing that there's no crowd support? Some players might have a tough time, you know, getting over the hump when it is a close match and they rely on that sort of uh, lift. Yeah, I, I think so. And like I said, I think especially for the top players, to be quite honest, I, I actually think it is a benefit for the lower ranked players. Um, I think it's easier to maintain your composure uh I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's easier. And there's less of a likelihood uh, against a legend um, of having to deal with such a huge emotional swing when you have, you know, a huge crowd in there. I mean, the emotion and the tension is palpable. So to not have that and to be an underdog and to face and know that arena, it actually is something that I think is really significantly more beneficial for a player who isn't of the same stature it's gonna be fascinating to see you know what happens in these matchups now where it might get a little tight and, and there isn't that crowd to get these players through i i can't wait to watch that uh, of the many aspects that are going to be fascinating about this one uh well i, I do want to pay one you know pay some respect to the western southern open cincinnati's been a great host it's not going to be there this year so let's throw it back a little bit, Paul. You've you played, you've coached, you've uh, you've been in, you've been on the coaching side of some uh, some talented guys that have won this tournament many times. Uh, when it was known as the, I think the Roger Federer in it, Invitational unofficially. Yeah. What, are, what are some yeah. of your favorite memories of uh, calling matches or just being there, playing and coaching at Cincinnati? I, I love the event. They've always done such a great job in terms of taking care of the players for the fans. Um, it's such a terrific week of tennis uh, leading into the U.S. Open. Beautiful area. Kings Island Amusement Park's right across the street. So it seems, you know, it, it seems like a leisurely place to be. Um, and, and the fans love being there. But they always get, you know, the most amazing fields. You know, and you mentioned Rogers won it a bunch of times. I recall the, a couple of his wins very fondly. I was there with Pete uh, Sampras a couple times. He lost a very tough match in the finals to Pat Rafter one year. I actually, I actually, I think I, uh, this is some getting senile. I think I beat John McEnroe there. Oh. I think I beat John McEnroe there. I'll have to check the record books. You know, you don't, you don't, when you don't beat legends very much, the couple times that you do, you got to remember. And I think John and I played there one year and I won, but um, look, I've always loved being there. And, and, and this year it's going to be very different, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And when you look at the draw and you look at the names, um, sure, they're missing some of the top players. But, you know, the men in particular with Djokovic um, and Tsitsipas and Zverev and team Berrettini in there. So you still have a lot of great players. And then you have the young guns, right? You have uh, Oje Aliassim and Shapovalov, the young Americans, Taylor Fritz, Tommy Paul, Riley Opelka. And I, I think that it's a great opportunity. I can't wait to see how John Isner's playing. How's he going to be? How's he playing coming out um, of the long uh, of the long shutdown? Kevin Anderson, who's been trying to get healed up and ready to go. So there's so many great stories. And guess who I didn't even mention? The great Andy Murray. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's going to be there. So yeah. So and, and he plays Francis Tiapo first round. So I mean, it is going to be a spectacular event. And uh, it's going to go from first gear to fifth gear in tennis very quickly. 1987, Paul, first round. You did beat John McEnroe. At I Cincinnati. did. Okay, there you, you did. Okay, I'm, there I'm, you go. There's my, 
I'm 15 not, minutes of fame. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna drop the head to head overall. That's not important right now. Um, just, yeah, let's. We won't. We won't go there. We'll just remember that one. Undefeated, you are against him in the state of Ohio. So there you go. There you go. There um, you go. As far as you mentioned, unfortunately, there's some players that are sitting this tournament, this swing out. Uh, the WTA getting affected more. Six of the top ten not playing there, including. Help and Barty one and two, the ATP actually uh, a lot of the top guys are playing seven of the top ten and ninety out of the top one hundred. But we're not having you know certain players. Nadal, Federer, Federer out with the injury. Kyrgios isn't playing as well. Montfies, were you surprised by any of the personal decisions that the players made? Obviously, it's understandable and selfishly we'd like to see as many of these great players play in this tournament as possible. But were you surprised by any of the decisions to just not come over to America? No, I, I really wasn't. I mean, I think it's a really challenging time for everybody. And I think the players have to give it some really long, hard consideration about the protocols, procedures, safety, all that other stuff. And, and I think in particular, um, you know, you look at Rafa and, and when the French Open is just a couple of weeks after the U.S. Open, why would he want to jeopardize, you know, another French Open title? You know, when that that's the one that he it's almost the Rafa Nadal open now. So, you know, it seems that one I kind of expected. And he's also very, you know, unsure about the health stuff. So, you know, I, I don't I'm not surprised at all. I, I think that the USO, uh, USTA has done a tremendous job. Um, I'm hearing a lot of good things about how they've got things set up. And look, it's not going to be perfect. There's uh, been a couple positive tests I, that I know of, of uh, and one's in, I think one's worked on site and then one was one of the physios. Um, but that, that's going to happen. And, and it's a matter of how do we contain it and how do we make sure, you know, two positive tests don't turn into 52 positive tests. And, and, you know, I think the USDA has really exhausted all of their resources uh, trying to figure out how to make this as safe and sound as possible for players and, and to bring some tennis to the fans. And, and, you know, we're going to have a lot of it uh, on tennis channel and, and there's going to be a lot of it being covered everywhere. So I just think it's a great opportunity for fans to see tennis. And, and my hat is, uh, is tipped to the USTA for trying to pivot and get this done. Absolutely, and and it, it's been as safe as you can you can imagine. I mean, obviously, nothing is going to be perfect. There's going to be some some testing, you know, positives there. But they've done a great job, uh, and it is an opportunity. You mentioned some of the players. Just just looking at the men's draw, Novak is playing. The rest of the top ten, uh, a lot of young guys that haven't really broken through are just trying to kind of get that next gear. I do want to start with Novak though, because he referenced it in in his comments that the the he was tempted about not playing Paul. He said the, the opportunity to compete was enticing. And you know, the elephant in the room is the opportunity to chase down Roger and Rafa for the all-time major you know, record is, is still in front of him. What do you think we should expect to see from Novak? Anytime he, he picks up a racket, there's greatness involved. But he has had some time off, has had some you know issues, had a, a positive test a couple months ago. What should we expect from Nole this tournament? Well, I would be surprised if he's not ready to go. You know, he takes such good care of himself trained so hard, um, has so much experience. And on top of all that, his game is very repeatable. You know, there's not a lot of moving parts. There's nothing that can go really wrong. Technique-wise is amazing. The way he moves and how he hits the ball is really efficient. So I would be surprised 
look, he's not going to be perfect from the beginning. I don't think anybody is, but um, the best players tend to get themselves match ready a little bit more quickly. And because they've got more talent, there's a little bit more margin for error. But I expect we're going to see a very sharp Novak Djokovic very quickly. It's a safe bet because he always gears up for it. it. It's also in the sense that even if there is a struggle in, in the Western Southern Open, he'll be ready for the U.S. Open. He can move on from a loss as good as anyone we've seen. Uh, the rest of that top five, it's all the young guys trying to be the first one up to win a major and break through. Team Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Verev, even Berrettini at six. These are all relatively young guys that are knocking on the door. Anybody stand out for you as, as locked in? I know it's hard to make any prediction, but we've seen some of these guys play in exhibitions and, and always get their match toughness up. But any of those next groups stand out to you? Well, team in particular has been the closest, right? He, he's been the closest to winning a major. So if he's healthy and he can get uh, into the draw without taxing himself too much too early, I, I think he's... Well, clearly he's been the closest to winning a major out of the of that next group. But look, none of them would surprise me. None of the names that you mentioned, Zverev, Zitsipas, you know, Berrettini loves New York, did great there last year. Obviously, he'll be ready to play. And, and let's not forget about Medvedev, who got to the finals at the U.S. Open last year. I'm um, going to be very interesting to see how he comes out of the shutdown looking, just seeing what kind of shape he's in, because he's uh, he was... Uh, he was like a meteor rising last year. It yeah. was a lot of fun to watch. The mental side of it, too, just one last note on the men, Paul, um, of not, you know, without Rafa and Roger being in this tournament, not having to beat two of the three. Like, we've seen it in the past where there have been guys that have knocked off one of the big three but have been able to follow that up by winning the Grand Slam title or a big tournament by having to go through multiple members. Do you think that might play a difference and make it more, you know, I don't want to say easier because it's always tough to beat Novak Djokovic, but the path seems a little clearer for these guys? No, 100%. And when you look at the last decade, over a decade, and everyone says, why can't these young guys win? It's very simple. They're, they're all good enough to beat Roger, Rafa, or Novak, or Andy Murray. But when you have to beat two or three of them, mm -hmm. three out of five sets, that's exponentially more difficult. And, and at the U.S. Open, that's not going to happen. The other players are great, but the other players don't have Roger and Rafa's resume. So if you're not worrying about two out of those big three, it makes life a lot easier. So I think it could be an incredibly exciting U.S. Open. Certainly appears to be that way. Paul Anacone, Mitch Michaels here on the TC Live podcast. The women's side, we mentioned the seeds that aren't going to play. Pliskova starts the Western Southern Open as a number one seed, followed by Kennan, Serena, Osaka, Sabalenka. We know that there is anybody can, can come from the, the lower bottom of the top 10, top 20, top 30, and make a serious run at this. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what level some of these ladies are going to come with. We've, we've seen Serena play. Pliskova's been active. Kennan won the last major. Not sure what that's going to be like. And then Naomi Osaka, who, Paul, when she's on, can play as good as anyone. There's some interesting uh, interesting data to be, to be learned from this tune-up, I'll call it, this Western Southern Open before the U.S. Open. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and look, we haven't seen Madison Keys play, so I'm very excited to see how she's uh, shaping up and, and getting ready for the U.S. Open. So it's going to be a, a really interesting week. Um, I, I think a lot uh, remains to be seen. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges, uh, as mentioned, is going to be the ability to come out of this without a lot of rust. Serena got to play some. 
you mentioned Ken and she played team tennis. So she got some matches in uh, Joe Conta lost first round last week. So she didn't get a lot, ton of matches in, but it's, a lot of it's going to be about how are these players going to, how quickly can they get back to top gear? I don't know that answer. Um, but that's the great thing about sports. And, and look, you can either look at adversity and look at the crazy challenges this year and make excuses and become a victim and become negative. Or you can go, you know what? It's the same for everybody. Let me see how well I can prepare. Let me see how quickly I can get zeroed in mentally and execute my game plan. And, and that should be the challenge for all the players. And the best have showed us over a long period of time that's what they do well. So it, it's going to be a big challenge. But look, you know, you always have to think of the big hitters too. You know, the Osakas, the Kavitavas, the Serenas, Madison Keys. I mentioned Pushkaba on these kind of hard courts. Those would be my favorites right now. The team tennis point is a good one. They were in a bubble and they were able to kind of get used to that environment. So they might be there might be some familiarity uh, to a point there that they're used to kind of what the situation is going to be to get ready to play. Uh, and, and one other thing I wanted to ask too, Paul, if you play in this Western and Southern Open and some of the top players maybe lose early, lose first round, show a lot of rust. Is that going to be a big issue? Are, are there certain players that are going to be able to move on from that, get ready for the U.S. Open? Or or is it maybe going to linger a little bit more? Because you mentioned how tight the turnaround is. I wonder if there are going to be those players that move on quick from a loss or because they're playing so quickly, it might be in their head a little bit longer. Well, I think you, you, know, you have to move on quickly. I think for the men in particular, when you have three to five sets at the U S open, you have a little more time to figure it out if you're down on confidence. But the thing is going to be, you know, you have to look at both ends of the spectrum. The people that win, are they going to be able to back it up? Is there enough fuel in the tank after this long of a layoff? And the people that lose early, are they going to be, um, have a short enough memory to go, you know what, this was just about getting matches in and getting ready to play. So now just practice for a few more days and I'll be ready to go. So, there's a lot of psychology involved in it, but it's all going to depend on the personalities and how they choose to adapt and how they choose to kind of reel in the information that they learn. Can't wait to see what happens. Paul Anacone, TC Live Podcast. A couple things before we let you go here. Uh, on the on the flip side of, of being excited for something, a little unfortunate news on, on this regard that the Bryan brothers aren't on the U.S. Open entry list they uh, publicly announced they were going to do the retirement tour at the end of last season. Unfortunately, World Events did not let that go uh, as planned. Not playing in this U.S. Open tournament. Not sure what the future holds for them. I think I speak for everybody in tennis that we want to give them a proper send-off. But it's unfortunate that it's gotten to this point with the world issues. And, uh, Paul, I just don't know if we're going to ever see them play tennis again. And if we don't, it's obviously their right to retire. But... You know, I was I was hoping to get that final U.S. Open run, and uh, obviously in front of fans would be ideal, but sadly that can't happen this year. Well, it's not this year. Let's hope that they're just going to stay home and everything that they plan for this year they do in 2021. They deserve so much and done so, so much for the game. Um, two of the best ambassadors we've ever had in tennis. So I, I hope that they just take some time, regroup, uh, enjoy family life, take a breather from tennis, but then they pick it up and go, you know what? This is our swan song starting next year. That would be a great way for them to go out. You hit the nail on the head, the ambassadors for tennis, what they've done for the doubles game and uh, just being two all around good guys. Um, if they, if they choose to call it quits, um, that's their decision, but we'd like to see them next year. 
get that swan song for sure at the U.S. Open. Uh, Paul Anacombe, this was a blast. The last thing I want to ask you, last week we celebrated a birthday in tennis. It was Pete Sampras's 49th birthday. I know you spent a lot of time as his coach, and I you know, selfishly grew up a, a huge fan of his. So is there anything that you could share about you know, Pete's greatness, getting to practice with him, what you saw on the practice courts that maybe people in the public I didn't see that you know, kind of foretold the greatness that would become uh, Pete Sampras winning 14 majors in his career? Well, I think in different ways, he and Roger have been looked at under the same kind of microscope. It looks very easy. It looked very easy for Pete to play. It looks very easy for Roger to play. And I think people forget how much hard work goes into getting that kind of talent. And uh, for me, he was one of the most talented players that ever played. And to me, I think he's one of the best players he has the most efficient way to concentrate. And what I mean by that is he's so laser focused. I've never seen a player that is more able to put his eye on a goal and not let anything in the way, get anything in the way of, of that, of that opportunity. Um, and that sounds simple, but it's very hard to do that and to maintain your confidence. And, and Pete was amazing at it. And I think the culmination of that was when he, hadn't won a tournament for 25 months and then comes back and wins the 2002 U S open um, and never plays another match again. That was kind of poetic. I thought, and he got to play his longtime rival Andre Agassi in the finals of the U S open where it had started 12 years earlier. So that is a lot of poetic kind of harmony to me. And um, it was an amazing journey to watch. Uh, and he's a pretty unique individual. Yeah, seven Wimbledons in eight years, and uh, just that second serve in, in clutch moments is what I remember. Just love that quote that he was just concerned with having the best career, putting his uh, mind to the task and uh, getting it done. So thank you for sharing that, Paul. Thank you for joining us on the TC Live podcast. Paul Anacone, somebody that's got victories over McEnroe, Edberg, and Lendl, but... Mitch, we're gonna concentrate I owe you. On, we're gonna concentrate on now. the wins. <laughs> I owe you, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You stay safe and I'll see you soon. Appreciate it, Paul. This was the Tennis Channel Live Podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. Every episode can be found there and wherever podcasts are found on all podcast platforms. Reminder that we have the Western and Southern Open coming up, followed by the US Open on Tennis Channel. It's a lot of tennis coming up. You're not gonna want to miss that for Paul Anacone. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Tennis Channel Live Podcast. We'll see you next week.